From Washington, D.C., the swamp itself, this is the week's worst with Alan and Veda. I'm Dr. Stephen J. Allen, Vice President and Chief Investigative Officer of the Capital Research Center. And I'm Matthew Vadum, Senior Vice President of Capital Research Center and Editor-in-Chief of BombThrowers.com. And I'm Jake Klein, our media producer, and I'll be moderating this podcast in which we go through the news for stories that we think are the most outrageous, the most ridiculous, the worst. And we're going to be changing up our style a little bit this week. We're going, as you'll see, we now have a moderator that we'll hope to have uh, each and every week, and that will change uh, from myself to other people. Uh, But we're going to be focusing on one story a week now, and we're going to try to explain to you the conservative perspective on that story. So as I'm sure you all know, there was a big tweet from Donald Trump this, uh, this week accusing Barack Obama of wiretapping him at Trump Tower. This is exactly what he said. Terrible. Just found out that Obama had my wires tapped in Trump Tower just before the victory. Nothing found. This is McCarthyism. So guys, if this is true, you know, why didn't he release any evidence? This is what all the headlines are saying. You know, he said this, provided no evidence at all. Well, the evidence is already out there uh, in the public record. Uh, we have seen that it, uh, the media has been reporting about this kind of thing uh, for months now, including the New York Times. Uh, Robbie Mook was on uh, Fox and Friends this week, and he confirmed that there was wiretapping going on at Trump Tower. Robbie that, Mook was a- was Hillary Clinton's campaign manager in 2016, and on this kind of thing, I think he's a, he's a credible uh, witness. Uh, his spin on it was, of course there was wiretapping at the Trump Tower. The real issue is, why uh, were Trump and his people talking to so many Russians? That was his angle. Yeah, the media took it uh, both ways, which is, uh, well, uh, and this is, uh, for example, a Wired magazine story that said that, well, if there there wasn't wiretapping, then Trump is a liar. If there was, then the question is, why was there? Because there must be something nefarious going on in order for that to be true. So Trump loses either way was the point of the story. Heads I win, tails you lose. And, And it's so funny to see the media uh, suddenly deciding to grade presidential statements based on whether they're baseless or not. Baseless was the term, the term of the day. You know, they always pick something like gravitas or whatever. There's a word that circulates through left-wing circles and always ends up in headlines of uh, news stories on a given week. And this this week it was baseless. And uh, they, they used baseless even though there had been reports of this investigation into what was going on at Trump Tower and more specifically with the the server associated with Trump Tower. So physically, it may not have been Trump Tower, but it was connected to Trump Tower. And uh, and and they these stories appeared in McClatchy News, and they were, uh, the BBC had a story, and of course the New York Times, which said Trump's statement was baseless, even though the New York Times had re- had reported several times on uh, on on this story. In fact, the public editor of the New York Times had referred to the New York Times stories on this topic. It was previously. pretty hilarious when the New York Times ran that front page story a few days ago saying talking about the baselessness of the claim when 
as you say, they'd reported it uh, themselves just a little bit before that. And it, and it may be that they focus in, they'll often do this, they'll focus in on some literal point, meaning, uh, you know, comma was not in the right place. Uh, that is to say that maybe it wasn't Trump Tower, maybe it was the server connected to Trump Tower. That's the kind of thing they'll focus on so that they can say that the president uh, was uh, was lying. Uh, of course, they never applied that standard to any other politician or certainly any politician that they uh, they, they agree with to a Barack Obama, for example. They always uh, they always give him the benefit of the doubt, uh, and, uh, and and it's kind of silly because if you're talking about uh, uh, comments that can be taken either way, what they do is they automatically assume that it's the interpretation that would be most beneficial to their side and most uh, negative toward the president. Um, v- very interesting. So it does seem, though, that this information didn't come from inside the administration. I mean, uh, what the stories are saying is that, you know, these are, quote, conspiracy theories that he read coming from uh, Breitbart and Mark Levin. Well, you know, it's not a conspiracy if they really are out to get you. Or it can be a conspiracy. As I've pointed out before, the Lincoln assassination was, in fact, a conspiracy. There have been many conspiracies throughout uh, throughout history. The question is, is it a real conspiracy or not? And uh, you ask why they wouldn't release the, the background information. There are a number of reasons. One is uh, you've got to be very careful what specific information you release. Uh, you can find out something from, say, spying on some uh, Russian official or some official of some other government, and uh, you can refer to this. Uh, obliquely, but if you give away how you know this, you might be giving up sources and methods, uh, perhaps someone who was in the room who was uh, uh, spying for us. You could get operatives in the field killed. Yes, exactly. So there, there are reasons for that. There are also, uh, it's Donald Trump's uh, strategy, in fact, to sometimes lure the media into a situation where they debunk him, and then he turns out to be correct. Uh, sometimes this happens accidentally because they're so quick to jump on him and accuse him of uh, being wrong, uh, as happened recently when he talked about the uh, uh, violence occurring in uh, in Sweden, uh, where there are uh, where there are, uh, have been many many uh, immigrants. I think it's uh, the equivalent of a couple of million people by the U.S. population standards uh, in recent years who've immigrated to the country uh, and have uh, from uh, from particularly hot hot spots that are uh, frequently. Uh, uh, the areas where Muslim terrorism or Islamofascist terrorism will come from. They've had particular problems in Stockholm and Malmo. Yeah, exactly. And this is known to the people in Sweden. Uh, there was a special report on this. Uh, there was a, a, a documentary done. The documentarian appeared on the Tucker Carlson show. And when President Trump referred to that as having been something from, I think he said last night, uh, he was referring to the report, not to necessarily to the event. But of course, within three days, within two days, actually, there was actual uh, violence in Sweden related to this. So he turned out to be right. Uh, but the media all jumped on it, and in fact, I've just in the last week heard more references to how he was wrong about Sweden when in fact he turned out to be right. So sometimes you see this with the with the president where he'll say one of these things, uh, and then um, over time uh, it discredits the media because they jump on it, they say he's wrong when in fact he's not wrong. And, and I think that's just so important just to think about is when we're just reading the media, you hear all of these slanted perspectives on things. And just if you hear something called a conspiracy theory, I think nowadays, you know, it might end up being a conspiracy theory, but at least go and read it first and, you know, see what was actually there rather than just 
dismissing it out of hand because the New York Times or CNN, you know, happened to say so. Well, this is the New York Times that has a record of uh, being off track, reporting things that didn't happen, uh, they uh, or not reporting things that did happen. Uh, they had a- like in 2008 when they made up the story about John McCain, then the presidential candidate for the Republican Party, uh, having a mistress on his staff. Right, exactly. Totally false. Exactly. And and they also went after John McCain on whether he was uh, eligible to be president based on his uh, birth certificate. That that was the beginning of the discussion of that issue. And of course, no one uh, mentions that it started with the New York Times attacking John McCain. Or you can go back in history where uh, in the 1930s, the, um, the Moscow correspondent for the New York Times covered up the murder of millions of Ukrainians. You're talking about Walter Durante. Yeah. And won a, won a Pulitzer Prize for his work because what would happen is the the, the Soviet government would feed him information so he could get front page stories uh, in return for him covering up the parts that they didn't want published. And then, of course, there was as there, people. So as millions of Ukrainians and what they the their Holocaust, they call it the Holodomor, uh, uh, starved to death. He wrote articles for The New York Times talking about how the local markets were were overflowing with food and that there was no famine uh, in Ukraine. And uh, uh, basically, he was, you know, a Soviet propagandist pretending to be uh, a, a, an objective American reporter. And then in the 19 and the and during World War Two, the New York Times sat on stories about the Holocaust or buried them deep in the paper. Uh, the, the, the explanation that's given is that, well, they didn't want the effort in World War II to be seen as a, as a Jewish thing because there were a lot of, of Jews who worked at the New York Times or owned the New York Times. And so, um, and that was their explanation, but nevertheless, they, they did it. Uh, and then, of course, uh, you have uh, when Castro rose uh, to power and the New York Times was covering up his communist connections. There's an old uh, ad campaign in the New York Times where uh, people would say, I got a job through the New York Times, through the want ads and so forth. And so they'd have ads that said, I got my job through the New York Times. And a famous parody of that was a picture of Castro with the caption, I got my job through the New York Times, making fun of the fact that the New York Times had covered up his communist connections long enough for him to rise to power with the support of many Americans. Uh, and and Kitty Genovese uh, in 1964, remember the woman who was uh, murdered with 38 witnesses uh, looking down from the apartment windows and, and nobody did anything? That never happened either. So a lot of things in the New York Times just never happened. Yeah, and I think this is a broad topic that we're going to end up coming back to week after week is just what can you trust in the media and you know obviously from your knowledge on this you know we all read the new york times uh, i'm not saying don't read it but at least read it in context you know try to read something critical along with it read everything whenever i have low blood pressure my doctor advises me to read the new york times <laughs> so so getting back to uh you know the topic at hand um you know, you gave some reasons for why Trump might not want to show the evidence um, because, you know, it might compromise potentially the person that found it. But, you know, is a congressional committee the right answer? Because ultimately the evidence is either there or it's not there. So if it's going to be found, why not just show it? Well, this is a representative republic and we have a certain way of doing things. And I think a congressional investigation uh, is entirely uh, appropriate as opposed to President Trump just, uh, you know, waging a Twitter war uh, to make his point. And I'm not saying he shouldn't use Twitter. I love his Twitter feed. 
uh, he needs it uh, to, uh, to supplement his bull, uh, to amplify his bully pulpit. But this is the kind of thing that is appropriate for a congressional uh, investigation, so we can get uh, to the bottom of this. There are so many moving parts to this story that they really, you know, it might even justify a, a, an independent commission, a blue ribbon commission. Though often those things don't get, you know, don't really, don't really get much any get much done. But but it needs to be looked at by. Um, uh, by our lawmakers, by our policymakers. Well, I'll, 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 I'll would you agree with I'll that, say Dr. This. Allen? Here's the thing: this is part of a strategy to occupy, among other things, to occupy the Trump administration and tie it down. Uh, I went through this with uh, Newt Gingrich uh, in the 1990s. Newt Gingrich led an effort by the Republicans to take over Congress for the first time in 40 years. They immediately, the Democrats, uh, led by David Bonier, who was the uh, Democratic whip in Congress. From Michigan. Yes. He, they immediately began an effort to file one ethics charge after another after another against Newt Gingrich, many of which were silly or they were technical violations. Uh, there was a rule against using uh, your, uh, out, your campaign funds to help support your office. Now, Newt was doing that because it was the first transition between parties in 40 years, and he, there were no funds really to handle it, so he used campaign funds. To make it clear, he used his personal campaign funds to help his office, not the other way around, and yet they made it sound like it was that was the bad way instead of the good way uh, in order to make him look bad. And eventually, uh, David Bonner alone filed 75 ethics charges against Newt, of which he was immediately cleared of 74 and eventually cleared of the final one involving the IRS, and he was cleared. But the point was to tie him down, and uh, he actually paid a sort of fine uh, to get rid of that last charge, which he later turned out to be innocent of, uh, in order to get it off his plate, because he would have done nothing but respond to those charges. And I think that's part of the part of the strategy here is to keep making these accusations, tie Trump people down instead of, uh, you know, doing the things that they need to do in the government. Uh, they will be responding to inquiries, testifying right. under oath putting and so on. Putting out fires. And putting out fires. And, you know, you have to go back to the root of all of this. And the root of all of, all of these stories, this Russia thing, is that uh, the? And this is my theory, and uh, but I think it's. Oh plausible. my God! Is it a conspiracy theory? Uh, yes, actually, and it's the kind of conspiracy that happens every day in every political campaign. Uh, there's a thing called opposition research, where you're going after the other guy, and if you're unscrupulous, which believe it or not, a lot of political campaigns are in fact unscrupulous, uh, then you make stuff up. And uh, in this case, it was people associated with one of his Republican rivals, probably Jeb Bush. Uh, these are people in the from the Lee Atwater, uh, Karl Rove school of politics, which is where if you can find something that makes somebody look bad, eh, whether it's true, doesn't really matter that much. And uh, they came up with this thing that Trump was tied to Russia. Now, they came up with it because Trump was saying maybe we shouldn't go to war with Putin. And he was saying maybe NATO should fulfill its obligations and the countries make, should fulfill the promises they've made to help support their, uh, their shared defense. So they decided, oh, we're going to make Trump into a tool of the Russians. So they started these rumors. And they kept him going, and, and the people who were behind it, uh, there's some intelli former intelligence operatives who had been hired, they, um, they, they then went to work for the Democrats once the Bush people were out of the way, and they kept spreading the story, and then here's how it works. And Steve, I do just think it's yeah. important to clarify for the listeners who might not fully understand this story, the reason that Trump 
would have been wiretapped that they're saying is because of these supposed Russian links that they would have been investigating, correct? Yeah, and and what you do is you do like was done against uh, various conservative and libertarian groups in the 1990s. Um, We found out at one point that the IRS had been investigating uh, conservative and libertarian groups almost exclusively over the liberal or progressive groups uh, in terms of people's tax exemptions and so forth. And we're talking about the Lois Lerner scandal. Well, but no, this goes back to the 90s. Uh, and what we fa- and, and when we confronted them on it, their excuse was, well, those are the those are the accusations we made, we're made, that have been made. We're only following up on what's in the news media reports in the New York Times, the Washington Post, and so on. Well, the reason those stories were in there was because they were planted by the people on the other side. So it was a convenient excuse for investigators to, uh, and in some cases, sincerely, uh, they, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. If there was an article in the Washington Post that said the Heritage Foundation or the Cato Institute wasn't spending its money properly, well, that would get investigated. Uh, whereas there were no stories in the Washington Post or the New York Times or uh, about liberal groups. And uh, so that was the excuse. Uh, in this case, you have uh, a fake story that's put out there. It's circulated. It ends up in uh, quasi-intelligence documents. Uh, and then the law enforcement agencies, they kind of have to respond, you know, oh, my gosh, there are all these stories about Trump people uh, flying to Prague to meet with the Russian controllers that were running the campaign behind the scenes. And Trump was being blackmailed because, you know, he brought in prostitutes while he was staying in. a. Ho- this is the actual theory, by the way, for anyone who hasn't heard this, that Trump stayed You're talking about Pissgate. Yes, Trump stayed at the Ritz-Carlton in Moscow. I I love, that's a good gate. And it turned out the Obamas had stayed there. So he's so insane that he hired prostitutes. Of course, you know, I guess he trusted them not to tell what was happening. And he didn't realize that the hotel suite was bugged, like every hotel suite in Moscow is bugged. nobody's more trustworthy than a Moscovite hooker. Yes, exactly. And he brings them in and he has the prostitutes use, I'm sorry for the details, but this People have to understand how ridiculous this is, and uh, and that is that the prostitutes used the bathroom on the bed, and then this was recorded, and then this was used to blackmail Trump and all of his campaign operatives into into serving the the the, the, the Russians. And this is the story now that our intelligence agencies, well, they just felt like they had to mention in reports that were conveniently linked linked leaked by the um, uh, by the Obama people, including the the, the last minute change that was done. Uh, by the uh, by, the Obama people, so that information on the investigation into Trump would be included in stuff that was sent to 16 intelligence agencies and to po- possibly our foreign friends, uh, so that somebody would leak it, and there would be no way really to tra- hey, trace down leak. who leaked. Who leaked? You said it. leak. That's a pun. Yeah. And and I do think it's just really important to, um, to make clear that. You know, in this 36-page dossier with all of these, you know, wild claims that um, uh, we're discussing here, you know, even 95-plus percent of the organizations reporting on this, you know, they keep reporting on it and they keep saying, and no evidence has been found. Um, And I I think it was BuzzFeed. Uh, which is little more than a gossip site run by former Politico 
uh, writer Ben Smith uh, led the way in that regard. Well, except that what they say isn't that no evidence has been found. When they say that at all, and I was watching the Today Show just just today uh, before this broadcast, and and they mentioned the you know the Russia connection and didn't have any kind of clarification or anything like that. But when they mention it, when they mention the fact that it, um, the evidence hasn't surfaced, what they say is, well, there's no evidence yet. And then they emphasize how, well, we must have an investigation. Goodness sakes, uh, how could anyone be against an investigation of these, of these claims? We have to have one to find out whether, they're, whether they might be true that Donald Trump is a Russian spy. And, uh, you know, I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with doing a lot of investigations. You know, investigate whatever you want. But at a certain point, when there's just really no evidence for this, and it's just purely allegations... You know, you're starting to use these investigations as a political tool. As a witch hunt. Yeah, where it's just exactly what you were saying earlier, where if they can constantly keep him on the defensive, you know, even when there's nothing valid to be defensive about, you know, it doesn't exactly put you in a very fair political situation where you can go out and, you know, start talking about all the things that you're trying to do and all the good things that you're trying to accomplish. You just have to spend all of your time defending yourself. And once you're in that position, of course, there's going to be a share of the population that believes it. And so that's why this is such a, you know, utilized political tactic. Didn't somebody call this the politics of personal destruction? <laughs> yes, that was what uh, they uh, what Hillary, I believe. Was it Hillary that actually coined that term? Or was it Bill? I'm trying to remember now. It I, came thought, to that. I thought she invented the concept yeah, I think and that the concept very, very concept, well. Yeah. She was quite an operator. But, yeah. but nonetheless, th- these are, you know, really major allegations to make against a, a previous president. And But let know, me, but let me, yeah, yeah but let me add one thing. Uh, You're saying that president, the allegation that President Obama led the wire, uh, organized, yes. the, orchestrated the wiretapping. If I can say one thing campaign. before we get to that, and that is, you, you said there's no evidence. In fact, the, the evidence is on the other side, which is uh, that, um, for example, uh, James Clapper, who was the director of national intelligence under Obama, who has a been a fierce critic of Donald Trump. And he said, no, no, he didn't know anything supporting this uh, Trump-Russia uh, connection uh, theory. Uh, and and since we know that, uh, at least according to all the news reports, uh, that uh, there were these um, there were these intercepts, uh, we know from the fact that uh, General Flynn's conversation was revealed, uh, for example, with the Russian ambassador, or at least part of it was, uh, we, and, and he was identified, which was illegal, by the way, to identify an American citizen in, in such a situation, uh, we, we uh, can be pretty sure that this has been, in fact, thoroughly investigated. And if there were any connections that could be found, yeah, there's a good chance they would have found them. Well, so, th- so the evidence is on the other side. Th- that's a good segue because, you know, you just said something positive about, you know, trusting um, James Clapper. But on these wiretap allegations, you know, he's saying there's there's nothing here. And uh, FBI Director uh, James Comey is saying the same thing and asked the Justice Department to reject these claims. So, well, we heard a report that Comey had said that, and it's interesting that he hasn't actually come out and said anything directly. Uh, and, uh, and and there may be a reason for that. It may be that it's his comments are very limited in scope. Uh, the same thing with Clapper. Um, uh, General Clapper was talking about the, uh, uh, the things that were basically under his jurisdiction. Well, of course, an FBI 
uh, investigation would not be under the jurisdiction of the Director of National Intelligence. Um, and various people have Clapper been as well might not be, might be telling the truth. Perhaps he didn't want to know. Yeah, they're, and they're, so he wasn't briefed on. There are various the schematics that people can find online where folks have gone through all the comments made by Clapper and Comey and Trump and said, eh, you know, here are the ways that all three of them could have been both accurate and telling the truth. Uh, so uh, you, 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 when you're talking about FISA but, but, warrants. Right, and, but that doesn't mean that the, the warrant wasn't granted. Right, or that the president. It is a secret court after all. Or that the, the president didn't uh, essentially go on his own. And I know all the commentary that's been out there about FISA and what you have to do to get a FISA warrant. First of all, FISA warrants, that that's the foreign. FISA, right. Foreign intelligence uh, surveillance; uh, those warrants are—they're um, not easy to get, but they're easy to get rejected for. And the report is that the first effort to uh, go after Trump's associates was, in fact, rejected. Well, of the thirty-three thousand in the summer, yeah, yeah. of the thirty-three thousand six hundred FISA applications up through twenty thirteen, eleven were rejected. That's not 11,000, 11 um, uh, out of 33,600. And according to the Electronic Privacy Information Center, uh, no uh, uh, applications were rejected in 2014 or 2015. So it's it's one of those things where the fact that it was rejected shows you, uh, the first time around, shows you yeah, there was probably something wrong with it. And you don't need that much. I mean, it, it's one of those things, you know, the old expression about how a prosecutor can get a, a ham sandwich uh, indicted uh, by a grand jury. It's almost that kind of situation here. Um, you know, I, they are saying, though, you know, I, certainly we can't say that these aren't like big, major allegations. You know, if indeed this is true, that... Obama himself ordered this, you know, th this is Watergate level stuff. I mean, I, I, I think, think it's beyond Watergate. Yeah, I, I think everybody broadly agrees on the severity of this, you know, if it is true. But, you know, Ben Rhodes, the spokesman for Obama, says, you know, no president can even order a wiretap. And another spokesman, uh, Kevin Lewis, said, quote, a cardinal rule of the Obama administration was that no White House official ever interfered with any independent investigation led by the Department of Justice. You know, well, why can't we trust this? But this, but this is a red herring. This is a is misdirection. Um, the White House isn't involved in these kinds of wiretaps. So, of course, he could say that and say that truthfully. Um, this sort of thing is handled through the office of the attorney general. In fact, there's a federal law, isn't there, Dr. Allen, saying that specifically the president is to, to direct these requests through the attorney general. And in fact, I don't even think that, uh, according to federal law, that he's required in all cases to seek a warrant. They can just, they can just engage in surveillance uh, uh, on the president's uh, initiative. So it, it's actually a little bit confusing why a warrant was even granted, if one was granted, as has been reported. Well, you, you have several different tracks going in here. Uh, this would have been Loretta Lynch, who, remember, met with Bill Clinton on the tarmac in the famous uh, meeting while they were considering what to do about uh, Hillary Clinton. You mean to uh, talk about their grandchildren? Even yeah, that's right. They were just talking about any? that. Yeah, that's right. That, that's why you meet with somebody on the tarmac and try to make sure nobody knows about it. Uh, and and uh, so, so uh, and, and remember, this is the Obama administration that had the IRS go after 
uh, the president's opponents. Uh, and uh, at the time, we commented that the most serious charge of impeachment against Richard Nixon, the one that most likely would have brought him down had he not resigned ahead of time, was that he attempted to use the IRS to go after his political opponents, that he attempted, and, and, and unsuccessfully. In this case, it was successful. Uh, it had a major effect on, on putting down the, uh, the Tea Party movement, that you had the IRS going after these Tea Party groups. And, uh, and we know that was true in the Obama administration, that Lois Lerner, of course, took the fifth, or tried to take the fifth, and she was allowed to pretend she had actually uh, successfully taken it. And, uh, and there were computers that were smashed and sent off to the, to the garbage dump and all sorts of things in order to cover and it amazingly, up. Amazingly, by the way, IRS Chief John Koskinen is still in place. Even now in the Trumpet, 50 days or so into the Trump administration, which, uh, which really confuses me. Well, it's, it's part of the, the fact that you can't staff an administration overnight. And before, we've always had patriotic Americans who uh, were willing to accommodate the new administration, uh, whether you were talking about the, the Bush to Obama transition or the Clinton to Bush transition and going on back, uh, even, when in, even when there was a change of parties. Now you have people basically operating as a kind of shadow government um, openly. I mean, there's stories every day of, of some department in the government where the people uh, in the uh, Department of Revolting. And, and it's exactly what you would expect when you look at the State Department. 99% of the contributions from people the State Department went to Hillary, 99.4% in the Labor Department, 98% in the Justice Department, and so on. These are not people that like Donald Trump, and uh, they do not support his policies, and they're throwing themselves in front of his policies. And they're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to have an elected government, not uh, bureaucrats. Uh, who nobody knows their name. And uh, that's causing problems. Uh, and that's one of the reasons you have these leaks, um, that, uh, you know, the, the conversation with the Australian prime minister, with the president of Mexico, uh, there's no reason those things should have been put out there to the public. Uh, and these were, you know, the president's con- private conversations, and they were leaked out by somebody. And, you know, I'm sure these leaks are something that we'll be talking about more in depth another week. Um, you know, just to inform our listeners, you know, th- this is a major issue right now that, you know, is being referred to as the deep state, which is, you know, appointees from previous administrations who are entrenched in their roles and, you know, may not agree with the uh, policy platform or whatever of a new administration. Particularly in this case with reference to the intelligence community and the national security community. Yes, precisely. And, you know, can use the power and access that they have to coordinate with the media and other organizations uh, that are public facing to, you know, fight the administration. Um, well, this so- is also the, the uh, what, what did... Uh, President Eisenhower call it in his farewell address, uh, the military-industrial complex. And the scientific, the same thing. And the scientific technological he elite. He warned about the entrenched uh, bases for power in in Washington D.C. And I have right. a feeling we're going to get uh, very in depth on that on an episode one of these upcoming weeks very soon. Um, so, with all that said. Um, uh, you know, I think that's all the questions that I had for you guys. Is there anything else you want to talk about in regards to these wiretaps that you think the listeners ought to know? Well, I think the important thing is to go back to the beginning of the story, uh, because if you go back to the beginning of the story with the rumors about Donald Trump, you see how, frankly, absurd they are. 
how there's no basis for this. Uh, the fact that people say something over and over or that it becomes a, becomes a sketch on Saturday Night Live does not make something real. And yet that's what we're spending all our time investigating and all these people want to investigate. And that's what led uh, probably to these uh, to these wiretaps is that uh, pattern of uh, spreading rumors about Donald Trump, which was done by his Republican and Democrat political opponents. And don't forget, as you discovered, uh, Dr. Allen, that um, the idea that uh, that president that then candidate Donald Trump last year uh, asked Russia to hack <laughs> the Hillary Clinton campaign uh, is never something that Donald Trump actually said. He was there was a a question planted that planted the seed the seeds of that big lie, and that was by Katie Turr of uh, NBC. Who's, who who asked a leading uh, a loaded question saying you know that in, that that included that assumption and it has just it spread like wildfire after that that was during that's I remember when we were in uh, in uh, Philly at the the motel six <laughs> or whatever, wherever they stuck us uh, covering the covering the Democratic yeah. National Convention um, and and yet even now, uh, lots of conservative journalists will say, you know, Ru- you know, he asked uh, Russia to to hack. Yeah, the um, never Trumpers were big he never, on that. He never, yeah. he never did that. He just said, if Russia, hey, hey, Russia, he was being facetious. I thought at the time, hey, Russia, if you have these uh, stolen emails from Hillary, you should cough them up because we'd like to look at them. Yeah, and they're not who say, the same as encouraging them to hack. He was joking about the media. He said, well, I'm sure the media would appreciate it if you release these, meaning that the media wouldn't do any such thing. And by the way, people say, well, he shouldn't be joking about a serious thing. If you take him entirely seriously, he was talking about the Russians returning stolen property, property they'd already stolen. Remember, these were the emails that Hillary claimed she had destroyed and that the Hillary campaign said had no national security information. And yet her people then went on to say that uh, this could be hacked. Well, it could only be hacked if they still existed, meaning she was lying uh, and they could only uh, and they said that these control uh, contain national security information which would be true only if again Hillary was lying so her own people were suggesting uh, in order for the story to hold together uh, that Hillary must have been lying of course it's comical because Donald Trump never called on the Russians to hack into uh, the American uh, uh, computer systems and yet that was reported I think it's something like 50 news uh, organizations reported that that we were able to track down and if anybody but he wants the uh, the big story on this. Uh, I have an article on the website that I wrote back at the time. And at capitalresearch.org. Capitalresearch.org. And also there's a story that uh, you, Matthew, did based on the Katie Tur uh, element of it. All right. Well, that's our show for this week. We'll be, next, we'll be back next week. We hope you'll join us. Um, if you're not already, uh, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. Um, and follow us on social media at the Capital Research Center on Facebook and YouTube and at Capital Research on Twitter. I'm Jake Klein. I'm Dr. Stephen J. Allen. And I'm Matthew Vado. Thanks for listening.